How are we doing? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Glad you're there uh, through that little lens. Hello. I'm glad you're with us. Um, I'm, I, uh, I'm a little thrown off. I'm just going gonna, gonna to tell on myself real quick uh, because I came up and did communion and uh, I didn't turn my microphone off. And I went back and I was singing. Now, you couldn't hear it because the guys in the booth are wonderful and they muted that. So you didn't hear it. But all of the band on the platform was hearing me sing. And so uh, just to let you know, I failed my audition as a worship leader. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they all came in and was, they were just telling me, like, uh, you realize your mic was on? I said, I just did. So apologize, apologize to the band. So, uh, uh, hey, and, and you can see how they're able to worship through distractions, right? So uh, that's a good lesson for us. We're in a series called Life by the Sea, and, and I've been looking forward to this series for several months. And uh, it's a study through Jesus' ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, while uh, Heather and I were in Israel, we spent several days on the Sea of Galilee. And I want to show you a little, they're going to loop a video that we were on a boat in the middle of the sea, and we just got to see around and look around. And, and it, was, it was really just, it was, it was awe-inspiring to realize that, that Jesus was in this area, that he physically was here. Uh, and, and around the Sea of Galilee was where 90% of his ministry took place. And, and it just, it, it was mind-blowing to think that, that he went to the villages along the lake in the, instead of to the big cities and the, and the population centers, that he chose this area to be very strategic to launch the gospel movement. And as we, as we work around uh, through some of Jesus' teachings, I want us to understand that Jesus is a, is a real person. I mean, it's easy for us to come in to an environment and sing, and, you know, we lift up the name of Jesus, and we, we, we forget that, that he really walked this earth, that he wrapped himself in flesh, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He wrapped himself in flesh. He lived a sinless life, and he laid his life down on a cross and was resurrected. And after 40 days after his resurrection, he was ascended into heaven, fully alive, and he was fully man, fully God. And, and it's easy to miss that. And I, I just want to kind of take us through some of the footsteps of Jesus as he went in, in, early on in his ministry. So if you got your Bible, go to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to look at a pretty incredible situation that happened uh, right on the sea. And I might say sea, I might say lake. You might see that in Scripture as the Sea of Galilee or the lake. They went across the lake. It's the same thing. Um, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's, it's actually a giant lake, 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. The Jordan River feeds it from the north, and the Jordan River flows out of it from the, in, in the south. And uh, it's an incredible fishing uh, community. And I thought about showing you a picture of the fish that I got to eat, but it'd make you jealous. And uh, I remembered a series we did a couple years ago where I had a chef friend of mine cooking on the platform while I was teaching. And I thought well, there was going to be a revolt every service because you were smelling that. You were getting hungry. Um, but a great fishing opportunity. And it, it's, just, it's a beautiful landscape. But Jesus, uh, in Mark chapter 2, let's just start out, when he returned to Capernaum, now Capernaum is on the north side of the, of the sea, north side of the lake, and uh, it was a fishing village, and this was the home base. This was the headquarters for Jesus' ministry, 
and uh, it, it was reported that Jesus was at home. We don't really know if, if Jesus had a house there or if he was staying with Peter because Peter, one of the disciples, lived there. He, Peter was married. His mother-in-law had a house in Capernaum. And I've actually got some pictures, uh, if we can cue those up, uh, that, that you can see kind of Capernaum a little bit. So these are ruins that were uncovered. So these would have been areas that Jesus walked. And uh, it's, it's really an incredible place. This actually, just hold there. That's the remains of Peter's house, Peter the Apostle's house. Um, that's where Jesus would have gone in and where he would have healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, it's believed that, that this teaching, this, this scene that we're reading in Mark 2, happened in this house. Now, you see this house has a massive roof on it. And I think the next picture shows what's above it. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I can't remember the order. Yes. And so that's how we modernize. That is not Peter's mid-century modern house. Um, <laughs> That is, um, that is the Catholic Church wanting to build a church on the site of Peter's home, and the government said, no, you can't build anything that's touching it because it's archaeological remains, so they elevated it, and so that's actually a church with a glass floor. So we walked into the church, and you can actually see through the floor and see the area where Peter lived, and so this is believed to be this location. The reason I'm showing you this is because Jesus is a real person in a real place, and he, gave us, he gives us a real hope. And so he, he gets back to Capernaum, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Uh, Everybody was invited to the house, and it doesn't mean that Jesus sent out an invitation. Kind of a common basic law in the East is, is hospitality. So people just show up. I mean, Jesus had been teaching around the region. He had already healed many people, and so word is starting to get out about Jesus. So they find, people find out he's home, and all of a sudden, there's a crowd that starts to gather. And Jesus never had a problem gathering a crowd. But Jesus wasn't about gathering crowds. He was about talking to the heart and creating followers, not fans. And um, so he's teaching. And I don't know what he was teaching. He was teaching the word of God. It says that he was, he, was, he was preaching the word. That means proclaiming. That means he's just telling people the word. And, and as I was, I was praying through this, I mean, one scripture that comes to mind is in Luke chapter 4 when uh, Jesus is asked about his message. Like, what are, you, what are you teaching? What are you proclaiming? What are you preaching? And he says, I've come to declare your favor. He says, I've come to bring freedom to people. I'm anointed, and God has anointed me by the Holy Spirit, and I'm proclaiming good news. He's preaching good news. That's the gospel. And he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of Lord's favor. So you can see this message that Jesus has all wrapped up. You know, it's a, that's his elevator speech. I remember when we were launching the church and one of my mentors, you know, said, well, tell me about the church you're launching. And so I launch into this, this explanation and he cuts me off. He goes, wait, 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 bring that back. You know, do that in three minutes. I was like, well, okay. So I do it in three minutes and then I get, the, I get it down to three minutes. I go home, I work on it and then I come back and I present it to him in three minutes. And then he says, okay, now I want you to do it in 90 seconds. And I said, okay. So I leave that lunch. I come home. I get it down to 90 seconds. Jesus could sum up that ministry, his, his entire ministry, the salvation of the world. But he says, I've come 
I'm anointed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit to bring good news. What's the good news? That we don't have to be in our brokenness anymore. We don't have to live in our, our sin anymore. That he says, I'm giving you freedom. I'm giving you a, a healing in your body. I'm bringing you out of oppression. That is Jesus' ministry right there. I don't know if that's exactly what he was saying sitting in this house, but that's just started to come to my mind as Jesus is proclaiming freedom to people. Remember, Israel is under the, the, the rule of the Roman Empire, so freedom sounded really good to people at this time. And he's teaching them, and this teaching is for everybody. It's not, it's not such a, a religious elite teaching, and Jesus didn't come to be religious. Jesus didn't come to give us a religion where we check boxes. He came to bring a relationship with the living God. And the living God is sitting in this house, and he's preaching, he's proclaiming the word of God. That would have been the Old Testament, speaking about the prophets and, and everything that's, that's, that's come to pass. And then and it says, verse 3, they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof, roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So think about the scene, okay? You got this house, it's packed, okay? Can't even get in. You got four guys bringing their friend. He's on a mat, right? So we'll call him Matt. For remembrance, okay? So you got four guys bringing Matt to Jesus. They get to the house, and they remember, they had heard about Jesus. He had already healed many people. They had heard about him, and they knew, hey, we've got to get We've got to get them to Jesus, but they can't get there. So the men get creative. So the houses would have been built where they would have, have an external staircase up to the roof, and they'd been like thatch roofs. So they just removed a section. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, if somebody showed up and cut a hole in here, I'd be thinking, that's going to be at least $25,000 to fix, you know? I mean, the owner of the house, you know, Peter, I mean, we're presuming, but... Peter's sitting there probably thinking, and Peter had, had no filter verbally, remember? If you read about him through Scripture. Now, we don't, Mark doesn't record what Peter was saying, but he's probably like, somebody's going to fix that tonight. But these guys lower, Jesus, lower Matt down in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, Jesus is like. And everybody around has got to be thinking. He just cut in line, you know. He got a front row seat. I mean, I'm just, I'm just putting myself in the situation, y'all. I'd be frustrated. I'm like in the back trying to just squeeze a view of Jesus, you know. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, man. And he got like Uber Lyft, you know. Get it? Or Uber Lower. I don't know. It wasn't funny. When you laugh at stuff like that, it eggs me on, and I say more stupid stuff. So he's laying in front of Jesus on his mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, I love it. He said he saw their faith. He sees that they know that this is who we've got to get our friend to. This is exactly where we need to be. He saw their faith. And then Jesus said this, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice he didn't address the paralysis. He didn't address his, his physical condition. He hit the greatest need that every one of us have. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He calls him son, which means relationship, right? Connection. And your sins are forgiven. So, so what you were lowered down with, you no longer are burdened by. 
This is the greatest need for every one of us. We come to God so often and we, we go, God, here's my needs and here's my need. And yes, God is concerned about every need we have. But our greatest need that we will ever face is, is forgiveness. And it doesn't mean that, you know, forgiveness and then he says your sins are forgiven. It doesn't mean that his sickness is caused by sin. You can't start making, drawing lines here to say all sickness is, is, is a matter of sin. The only, the only thing you could do is go back to the very beginning in the fall, and because of the fall, sin and death are the operating systems of the world. So death is going to create sickness to win over physical beings, right? So, but you still can't say that b- because you're in sin is why you got sick. I mean, I was, I was, I was walking with a person a couple years ago through a lot of hurt and, 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 and a, a huge need for freedom because someone had told her her husband died of cancer because of, of his sin. And I, I, I really want to caution you about making claims like that because you have no proof of that. All of us have a sin problem. All of us have a sickness problem. And it's a result of original sin that was passed down through Adam. So it's not as though we can go around pointing fingers and go, well, the reason you're in this situation. Remember, Jesus addressed that with the disciples, with the blind man. They come walking into a village, and there's a man that's begging by the gate, and he's born blind. And the disciples, followers of Jesus, asked Jesus, why was he born blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus responds, this isn't an issue of sin. But what Jesus does in this situation is he addresses our first need of humanity, and that is the separation from God and the need for forgiveness and the greatest miracle that ever takes place in Scripture you just read. The greatest miracle we will ever see is the forgiveness of sin and when God restores us into relationship with him, when he says son, when he says daughter, when he relationally reaches out And he paid for the forgiveness through the cross for us. Jesus already knew he was going to pay for this man's forgiveness. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, instead of celebrating, you've got some people in the crowd. It says, verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? You know what strikes me? The scribes are religious leaders. And they're there. Listen. At this point of Jesus' ministry, they have every right to be there investigating his ministry because the, the Pharisees were the ruling party of the, of the religion for Israel. And you've got this new teacher on the scene, and, and they're starting to get a little bit of buzz about him in the, in the countryside. And so they come out, let, let's see what's going on with this guy. Let's see what his ministry is about. They show up. And also what strikes me about this, they were close enough that they witnessed this. So they'd gotten there early. And maybe instead of having open hearts and expectant hearts, they came with a little bit of a uh, defiant spirit maybe. Like we don't know this guy and we want to see what he's doing wrong. So they start, and, and it doesn't say they say this out loud. It says some of the scribes, they were questioning in their hearts. So it was internal monologue. Nobody spoke anything. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, so Jesus, being fully God, fully man, perceives, okay, they're, th- they're having thoughts, they're questioning in my heart, 
And Jesus knows the heart of man. He perceives the heart of man. He sees right to our heart. The heart is the most important thing that Jesus is interested in. Because Jesus, I mean, Jesus knows the word. Jesus is the word. And in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance because that's the spring of life. That's the wellspring of life. Out of the heart is our life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart is what's created our character. And it leads us and moves us. And Jesus knows that the heart is central. The heart is vital. That's why we say, surrender your heart to Jesus. That's why God would say in the Old Testament that I'm going to take this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that's soft. And Jesus perceives in their heart. He knows their questioning. And so he answers them. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, if you're the scribe, you'd be like, I didn't say anything. I mean, you know that feeling, right? You know, when you, when you think something and your mom knows what you're thinking or your wife knows what you're thinking, and you're like, I didn't say anything. I know you're thinking it. It's like, how does she get that power of the Holy Spirit that I don't get? I mean, Heather, to me, is, is, is Holy Spirit 2.0. You know, I need her in my life. She is vital in my life. But there are times she goes, I know what you're thinking. I was like, you do? So he says, why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to this man, the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So he puts the question in them. It's a question that doesn't need answering, in my opinion, because it is easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because we don't automatically see tangible evidence, physical evidence of forgiveness, right? That should come. I mean, when Jesus has forgiven us and transformed our heart, transformed our life, it will change how we live. But listen, Christianity, following Jesus, isn't behavioral modification where we try to get the externals right for people to see physical proof. Well, there's nothing in the heart, because Jesus would condemn the Pharisees for that. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. He says, you're all pretty on the outside. You look the part, but inside, you're, you're, you're stink, you stink of rotting death. But which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? So he says to the man, but that you may know the Son of Man, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, There's a lot in that. So what's happening is now he is displaying. He's saying, I'm going to display my authority. I have the authority to forgive sins on earth. And for the first time in Jesus' ministry, he uses a title. It's really a prophetic title from Daniel chapter 7, Son of Man. These Pharisees, scribes, they were lawyers for the law. They knew the law. They knew as soon as he said Son of Man, that's going to trigger something in them. And he says, so you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He's saying so that you know that the Messiah that is sitting in front of you has the authority here. Watch this. And he said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately. Now, we've got to have some conversation around this. Because what Jesus does is is there's two miracles here, right? The first one deals with forgiveness. The second one deals with freedom. 
This man needed forgiveness. That was his greatest need. Jesus met the greatest need. But then, he doesn't want the man to sit forgiven in his bondage. So he says, get up and walk to show his authority. Listen to me. Some of you have come to Jesus and you've asked for forgiveness and he's, he offers that freely. First John says that God is just and that when we ask, he freely forgives us. And when he forgives us, he forgets. He throws our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. So he says it is a fullness of forgiveness that we receive when we ask for it from Jesus. But he doesn't want us to continue to sit in the mess that created the situation that we needed forgiveness for in the first place. Are you following me? It's, it's like Jesus is saying, you're forgiven. And we're like, okay, great. But we do nothing about our circumstances. We do nothing about our past. We do nothing about what's going on. There's no physical, tangible evidence of the forgiveness. And so Jesus says, so you know that I have the authority to do this. I'm not only forgiving you, I'm freeing you from that bondage. And what we need to hear today as Christ followers is, is we need to take the next step because Jesus says you're forgiven and you're free. So walk in that freedom. He says immediately he walked in that freedom. Can you imagine everything? I don't know how long this man had been paralyzed, but if he'd been paralyzed for any length of time, then that immediate thing that happened was every ligament, every muscle in his leg, every tendon and every joint immediately received strength. The balance that had to happen in his mind and in his equilibrium immediately, you know, all of the muscle memory of being able to get up. I mean, I've spent two days on the floor playing with my granddaughter. She was staying with us and it takes me several minutes now to get up off the floor. I was like, that muscle's not working right. Immediately he gets up. And Jesus will immediately bring forgiveness. But listen, you got to start walking in it. He brings freedom. You got to start walking in it. The whole thing about communion we did earlier, remembrance of our past. You were in bondage. Now you're free by the power of God. When we take the communion elements, we were in bondage to sin. And now we are free and forgiven to walk in the life he's called us to walk in. Too often we reduce our faith to just, well, I've asked Jesus to save me and I've asked for my forgiveness. That is the greatest and most vital need we have, yes. And that places us in an eternal relationship with God as our Father, reconciled by the Son. But He doesn't want to leave us in our mess. He doesn't want to leave us there. So He says, get up. And immediately He picked up His bed and went out before them. So that they were all amazed, and listen to this, they glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. The result was God being glorified. That's, that's our whole mission here, is to glorify God. How? Through lives changed. How are those lives changed? By the message of Jesus, the gospel, the truth of what he's done in our life. The two miracles, forgiveness and healing, the result was God was glorified. And these, listen, miracles happen around Jesus. But every miracle points to Jesus. If God anoints you through the power of his Holy Spirit to perform a miracle, it's not for you. It's so that the person and the work of Jesus is made absolutely clear. It's so that the end result is people are glorifying God. Period. Every time. 
Do we believe in the, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit around the creek? Absolutely. And when they are used, it is to glorify God. How? By making the person and work of Jesus very, very clear. All this happened, all this, because of the four men who made it a priority to get their friend to Jesus. We can learn something from these guys. I mean, they, they, Jesus is our only hope for for, for forgiveness and our only hope for healing and our only hope for freedom. It's not your self-help programs. It's not your mantras. It's not just believing in yourself that today will be a better day. It, Jesus and Jesus alone, the name above all names, is our only hope. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus. And these four men knew, I've got to get him to Jesus. I mean, these men, they moved with a sense of love and concern for their friend. They cared enough about him to get him to Jesus. I mean, what's so cool is, you know, I'm sure maybe this man had been praying, God, would you heal me? God, I want to walk. If he'd never walked, I want to walk. Or I haven't walked in so many years, I want to walk. And that changes everything because as, as, as being paralyzed, he would be carried around. He would be placed at different places to beg for money, for his sustenance. And maybe he was telling his friends, I've been praying, and I've been praying, and I've been praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying for God to heal me. And his friends loved him enough and were concerned enough that when they'd heard about this Jesus and that he had been healing people, they carried him to Jesus. They saw the need and they were aware of the need. I mean, God calls us to have an awareness of needs. I mean, if you look at Matthew chapter 25, you know, Jesus says, tells the people, he says, there will be a day coming when, when all people will be separated, the sheep and the goats uh, story. And he will put people on his right and people on his left. And the, and the people on his right, he'll say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was uh, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And those people are going to say, Lord, when did we ever see that happen? We never saw you in those situations. And he says, whatever you've done to the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. Jesus takes our concern for other people very seriously. To the people on his left, he says, depart from me because you saw me like this and you never did anything. And they said, Lord, we didn't see you that way. If we would have known it was you, we would have done something. And he says, what you didn't do for them, I take it personally, you didn't do it for me. We are called to live with an awareness of the needs of people. And remember, the greatest need of every person on the face of this planet is forgiveness is reconciliation that only happens through Jesus. And what is beautiful about this is you might be the one to connect someone to Jesus to have their greatest needs met. To me, that is absolutely humbling to think about, that God would choose to use me, even in my brokenness. Yes, I'm forgiven, but I still mess up in my brokenness and in my humanity. He, that he would choose to use me to be a part of answering their prayer for their greatest needs to be met. And we minimize that. We don't think God can do anything in us. And the reason God doesn't do anything in us is because we don't make ourselves available for God to do something through us. These men didn't say, well, I got other plans. 
I mean, not only did they have this love and concern for him, <clears throat> but they, they moved with a sense of urgency. I mean, it wasn't like, like hey, hey, I, I, think, I think we should take Matt to see Jesus. Man, I got, I got stuff to do, man. How long is Jesus? Didn't he, didn't he live in here? I mean, he moved here, right? So we don't have to go right now. There's people that's crowded. I don't want to wait in line. I'm that way at restaurants. <laughs> Just to show how Heather and I are getting old, we made a reservation at a restaurant for 515. That was actually not because we're old. I'm young at heart. I'll never grow up. It was we had our granddaughter, and she had a bedtime. But some of y'all are like, praise God, 515, that's the best time to eat dinner. It actually wasn't bad. I could get used to that. But they had a sense of urgency. No, 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 we're not going to wait. We're going to go ahead. You know, if they, if they would have said, <clears throat> well, it's full. We'll just go another time. We'll wait until the crowds die down, and then, and then we'll get them there. That would be like saying, hey, Matt, um, how about you just sit there for a little while longer? Right? I, I, know, I know it was a terrible situation, but I mean, you know, I mean, he really can't feel his legs anyway. Just hang out. You've been there for this long? What's a few more days? No. They did not want their friends sitting in that position any longer. Our procrastination can mean the difference in life and death. I was speaking with a man who's been in ministry for over 40 years. And I asked him, is there, is there, is there a, what is the moment where you just remember, I got to be serious about this and ministry is my life and serious about telling the gospel. And he said, there was a man that was coming to our church and uh, God laid him on my heart and said, I want you to connect with him and share the gospel with him. I mean, he had made it known to me that he, I'm coming to church with my wife. I don't believe all this, but I'm coming. And he said, God lay in my heart. And he goes, and I was just looking at every time I'd, God would lay in my heart, I'd just get sidetracked and just get lost. And he said, I, I, he came out of my heart one day, and I was like, okay, I got to schedule this. So I reached out, and I said, hey, the soonest I can get together with you is this day. And he's like, that's fine. We'll go have coffee. And two days later, he said, he was killed in an accident. And he says, from that moment in my ministry, the sense of urgency is so high. Because if God's choosing to use me to bring someone to forgiveness to Jesus, I don't want to delay because that's a life and death situation. And he says, every chance I'm on the platform, I make the gospel clear and I preach the word of Jesus. And I've done so for over 40 years. Urgency is vital for us. They moved with that sense of urgency. See, urgency means we're going to deal with some inconveniences. Urgency means, yeah, we, we deal with full services around here for, for several of our services. Urgency, yeah, we got parking issues. We've got, we've got leaders that serve multiple services so that people can be connected to God and connected to one another. We deal with the inconveniences to get people to Jesus. You know, preaching for services is not easy. But we're going to do it because we see lives changed every week. And we move with that sense of urgency. 
And out of that urgency, listen, these guys, what I love about these guys is they made daring decisions. They got uber creative. I mean, here they are carrying Matt on his mat. They get to the house and they're like, well, we didn't get a reservation. And instead of turning around going, we'll come back another day, Man, they saw, one of those four came up with that idea. And they're standing there and they're like, I think we could go through the roof. I really think this would work. I, I, and, and the guy on the map, Matt's like, are you 100% sure? Well, I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, like, we get up there, he's like, are you sure I'm not going to fall? Look, look. The chances of you falling, Matt, they're like 50-50. Either you're going to fall or you're not going to fall. But if you're going to fall, like Jesus would be the best person to fall in front of. I mean, it's not like when you fall, you're going to be paralyzed. I mean, so, I mean, can you imagine that conversation? And Matt's like, whatever. So they climb up there. They drag him up. They open the roof, and they lower him down. You talk about faith. Matt had to have some faith. And so, he, I mean, they made some daring decisions to get their friend. They stepped out of the norm. They stepped out of their comfort zone. And they let the obstacles, listen to this, they let the obstacles become a breeding ground for innovation. Too many times we start in this path with God and we hit resistance and go, I just don't know if God's called me to do this. This is just, this is harder than I thought. Yeah, it's harder than we thought because all of hell is coming against you to share the gospel with somebody. Yes, it's going to be hard. But let those obstacles be a breeding ground for innovation. How do I create, how do I go through the roof? How do I do this? We've got got to dare to make God-sized decisions that will change your life, and change the lives of others. Four men carried a guy there. Five men walked away glorifying God. Every one of their lives was changed. Are we willing to be daring enough? I mean, Jesus calls us to this life of daring faith. It's not easy. But he calls us to be bold and to step on faith and do this. And and, and what he's saying to us is, rise up. So many times I think God is just constantly looking at me going, Matt, will you be daring enough to rise up for me? Will you be brave enough to do this? I mean, Jesus was brave enough and daring enough to go to the cross to handle our greatest need, to handle our forgiveness. And to show his authority, he rose and walked out of the grave. He rose up. And he's constantly saying to us, rise up, rise up, rise up to see the needs of other people. Rise up to move with a sense of urgency and rise up to make the daring type of decisions that will get people in a life-changing, transformational, freedom-walking relationship with Jesus. He puts that on us and we get the opportunity to be a part of it. So I say, let's rise up. Let's go. Let's do it. Because what we'll see is Jesus do some incredible things. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you. Jesus, we, we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the Son of Man. You are Messiah. And you and you alone have authority to forgive us, to heal us, and to set us free. You did. You took care of the greatest need on the cross. I believe that. We believe that. God, if there's any person here that has never received your forgiveness, or anybody watching this at home or whenever this message airs, that if there's anyone that has never received your forgiveness, 
I pray right now in their moment as, as your presence is there with them and with us that you, we realize and we declare, I believe, Jesus, you took care of my greatest need for forgiveness on the cross. And I believe in your authority because you rose and you walked out of the grave. And so when you tell me I'm forgiven, I believe it. And when you tell me I'm changed, I believe it. When you tell me I'm saved, I believe it because you and you alone have that authority. Jesus, will you free me? Will you let me rise up and walk in this life that you've saved me for, that you've created me for, and this life that will be full of faith and daring decisions as I glorify you and my life's mission becomes to see other people glorify you when they receive the fulfillment of their greatest need. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.